Welcome friends. I'm Sarah Ann Stewart, and this is the Awesome Inside Out Podcast. Now, I'm not sure how you ended up here today, but I want to welcome you with open arms. Because while our paths may be different, I'm going to take a wild guess that we share one common desire to have a deeply fulfilling, extraordinary life. And we both know that that life starts inside of you. If you want to say goodbye to anxiety, frustration, and negative self-talk and say hello to peace, mindfulness, gratitude, and living your best life, you've come to the right place. In each episode, we're going to dive deep into mindset shifts that give you the power to decide how you feel, not the media, not social conditioning, and not your past. Then you'll discover how to use this inspiration and this new sense of confidence to be the best you, the you that you are meant to be. So get ready. It's time to feel incredible from the inside out. Hello and welcome to another interview episode on the Awesome Inside Out podcast. If you enjoy this conversation and get value from the wisdom shared today, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could support three simple ways. First, by popping over to social media and sharing the episode. Second, by sharing with someone you love. And third, by leaving a review. Leaving a review ensures that other people around the world also get access to this content. So thank you so much in advance. Also make sure to stay till the end as I'm going to offer some applicable takeaways and a challenge this week to further integrate the content that you learn throughout this episode. All right, so as you probably know, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I talk a lot about meditation. And although the power of meditation has been proven to help us foster self-love, quiet that voice of self-doubt, and increase our sense of compassion, it can also lead us to having to really confront our shadows, and it often stirs up some unpleasant feelings. And so in this episode, I'm sitting down with Megan Monahan, a meditation expert and spiritual leader, to discuss this very topic and to recognize the freedom that exists on the other side of our thoughts, our feelings, and our emotions, especially when we become witness to our own personal truths and sit with ourselves. and. We're going to discuss why being with ourselves is so important for healing. Since learning to meditate in 2009 from Deepak Chopra, Megan has taught thousands about the power of meditation through her platform. She's worked with brands like Lululemon, Netflix, Facebook, Unplug Meditation, and Wonderlust, as well as clients internationally to share her spiritual real talk and meditation expertise. And in 2019, her first book, Don't Hate, Meditate was published. In today's episode, Megan is also sharing how you can elevate your life within just a few days of creating a few powerful daily practices and why accountability and consistency is so important. So if you've been looking for a sign to try meditation or to become more consistent, but haven't felt confident enough to jump in or stick with it, this conversation is for you. And so in today's episode, Megan is going to further share how you can elevate your life within just a few days of creating some powerful daily practices and why accountability and consistency is so, so important. All right, so let's dive in now. Hey, Megan, welcome to the show. I am so excited for our conversation today. Me too. I'm so happy to hang out virtually and and get into it. 
I love seeing you on Sunday at the Satguru talk. It was so nice. It, I didn't realize how nourishing it would be to just see people that I love again in like a spiritual setting. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is great. I feel fantastic right now. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm seeing all the, you know, it's, it's wild when you realize that you've missed something so much. You didn't realize that you missed it so much. It was that feeling for me. Absolutely. And then coming together to talk about human consciousness and just the direction of our planet. It was just so lovely to drop in with such beautiful people and to be there with you. I, I literally saw you and I was reflecting back and I was like, how has it been? It feels like two years, two and a half years since you were leading meditations at one of our Rising Glen community events, which I think we forget that we lost a whole year. So I was like, oh, that was last year. And I was like, no, that was two and a half years ago. <laughs> I know. It's almost like infathomable for the mind to think about it like that, to say like, oh, I haven't seen this person in two and a half. It just is like, no, that's not real. And it's like, no, no, that's that's actually how long it's been because we didn't experience time last year in the way that we normally do. So it Time is a construct and we all know that, but like really time is a construct. <laughs> Absolutely. And because we didn't have those sort of memorable experiences, the whole year feels like a very small piece of our memory because we were doing the same thing every day and that's how the mind works. So really interesting. <laughs> I was really like, interesting. Yeah, I know. I, I had that I had that experience too. And I just thought, wow. And it really made me not some because he's so much more grateful, but in a different way, it made me grateful for my life in a way that I was, I think, sleeping on a little bit. Because a lot of people in the kind of normal version of the world that we have don't experience a lot of difference from day to day and don't have, you know, a life filled of, oh, I'm going to go here now and then I'm going to. And I just, it made me grateful in a way that I haven't been in a long time. In, in a different way. Absolutely. And I do feel like there is a lot of us emerging from that time and a lot of clients that I've, I'm working with, and I'm sure you're in the same boat where they're recognizing that they want more of that depth of experience and life. And I think that that is the blessing of the pandemic is it's really reflecting to us, okay, well, if I'm not in the complacency of my day-to-day -day life that just I'm on auto loop and there's this automatic response to every single day. What would it look like to bring in some elements of play and excitement and joy and adventure? And I really feel like that is what the, the pandemic has brought to so many of us, which is this life is short. And what can we do to really enhance quality of life through experience? And so I love that reflection. I totally agree. And I'm excited for the expansion because in contraction from a consciousness perspective we expand and so we have to be in contraction to witness what we don't want in order to witness what we do want and so it's a blessing to see what's what's coming forward can't wait to see what happens in season two of earth school <laughs> <laughs> i know i was like and i'm done like and i'm <laughs> completely done with the pandemic <laughs> So I'm ready for the next lesson, ready to move on. This season just was really, it felt really long and like it was really slow. It didn't really pick up. I'm really waiting for, really waiting for season two to show up with some more action. <laughs> I know. Well, I'd love to start with your story, which I loved reading in your book because you share about your early 20s and how your life felt as if it was crumbling. You know, it's similar to my life in a parallel that although it felt like it was crumbling, it was really 
like I was talking about before, this expansion of consciousness. And so you talk about the hardships with these sort of unresolved, repressed emotions that really began to feel impossible to ignore. So can you take us back to those hardships and how meditation, which was very similar to my story, I loved reading yours, was kind of this catalyst to living a more fulfilled, purposeful life? It's so wild how it how long it takes for us to acknowledge things and how we are so good at ignoring the subtle, the little taps from your body or from your heart or your mind or the life that you've created, you know, the taps of imbalance or the taps of dysfunction or pain or whatever it might be. And we're so good at just, especially if you've had an experience growing up where you've ignored dysfunction or pain, or if you've ignored those things for a long time, your tolerance for them, I think just gets so high that it takes a lot in order to kind of shake you. And so for me, that shakeup really manifested as a physical, a set of physical symptoms of stress in my life. And really a lot, as you said, a lot of the unresolved stuff, stuff, very technical term that I had with my dad, who at the time in my early twenties was facing some really serious health repercussions as a result of being an alcoholic. And all of a sudden I realized, wow, I'm having a lot of feelings about this. And maybe I've had all these feelings for a long time and just haven't acknowledged anger and resentment and sadness and fear and all these things around this relationship that has been such a central point in my existence. And my body was really quick to chime in and say, oh no, we've been acknowledging all of those feelings. And it looks like this anxiety that you're feeling. And it looks like these autoimmune symptoms that you've been having. And it really looks like the gallstones that you have, and you're going to need to get your gallbladder taken out at 22 from stress. So the body, in my experience, my body was really what was taking all that on. And then it just reached a point where it was unable to be ignored. And my therapist at the time, I was 20, I think it was 23, 24, maybe 23. She said, you know, we can do all of this talking and processing, but you really need to create some tools in your life that will help you deal with stress differently and metabolize stress differently. And so that's when I found meditation and I literally, you know, I Googled wellness. I had no idea what any of this world was, which is wild considering that it's now my complete life, but I had no idea about any of this world. And I found my way to Deepak Chopra's wellness center and started meditating, started having conversations with doctors through his center that were both medical MDs, but also Ayurvedic experts and practitioners. And I started looking at my physical health in a totally different way. And I think I've shared with you before, when I was there the first time, I had chronic hives for about a year. And the doctor, instead of saying, I think you should really look at taking Xanax, which is what I had been told a week prior, said, I think you should start talking to your hives. I was like, what are you talking about? I was like down there for just like an exploratory. Let's just see how, how I feel about all these Eastern tools. And she said, I think you should start talking to your hives. I was like, I gotta go. Like, is there the Kool-Aid? Is it on the way out? Or like, what's happening? She was like, I really want you to start talking to your body. I want you to start having a relationship with your body instead of just fighting with it and trying to fix the things that you think are wrong and take some coconut oil and rub your hives and just say, I hear you. 
thank you for letting me know that there's an imbalance. I'm working on it. Like we're in this together. I love you. And, you know, a year and a half later, I quit my job and, you know, now, now I teach meditation. So that was the trajectory, but it was incredible to see and experience a different viewpoint and to start having some education around how I could relate to the different parts of myself, to my heart, to my emotions, to my thoughts through meditation. I had never heard before that you are not your thoughts, that you don't have to believe every thought you have. You know, all of that stuff was so incredibly foreign to me. And, and little by little, I just started to change my relationship with the levels of my being. And it was obviously life-changing. I love that. I had a practitioner recently tell me to interview my autoimmune, <laughs> like interview the cells that are fighting against your own system and start to really understand why and connect deeply with the wisdom of the body and what it's trying to tell yourself. And it was so interesting, right, to have that sort of dialogue, but also so powerful in that if I could interview the condition or interview the symptom, what is it telling me? What is the awareness there? And how can I shift my consciousness to be available to understand that deeper wisdom? And for me, it was just such a beautiful experience. And now whenever there's a diagnosis, which I don't even love that term, but let's say, let's say I hear something or I get something on a test result or a doctor calls me with something about my IVF results, I always just begin that interview process of what is the lesson under this? What is my body trying to tell me in this moment? And that's when we start to understand how the subconscious often creates sickness in our bodies in different areas based on what we need to heal in those moments so that we can move forward with higher level of health and well-being. It's really interesting in your book, you talk about these two words, which are, I'm fine. And, <laughs> and you talk about how you went through a lot of this time saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I think that so often we use those words to stay complacent to our pain, to our discomfort, to the subconscious patterns, to the wounding that we've experienced growing up because we're scared to take that next step. And we're often scared to say, I'm amazing, I'm wonderful, I'm great. So I would love to dive deeper into those two words and how that shifted for you and how you work with your clients to really allow them to witness what it means to be in complacency, but then also have the courageous steps, right, to move forward in a place of saying, what if life actually could be amazing? What if life could be incredible? And what would it mean to me to be able to actually speak those honestly to those around me in my life? You know, I think if you, well, I think many of us grow up not necessarily feeling a sense of freedom around, around having feelings, you know, emotions. I mean, even if you think about like little kids and how we interact with little kids and it's like, oh, use your inside voice. And like, don't scream now or only do this when you're outside or only do this when it's appropriate to do this. Or we're kind of taught to compartmentalize the expression of, of our energy, the energy in motion, like whatever the emotion is, whether it's happiness or sadness, or if we fall and it's like, oh no, you're fine. Like, don't cry. You know, I just think about how much censorship there often seems to be. And I'm not a parent, so I'm only speaking from what I've seen and, and what I've experienced and, and what I kind of remember. But 
I think one of the biggest things that we can do for ourselves and for each other is to give ourselves permission to have big feelings, like big, beautiful feelings, big, ugly feelings, big, peaceful feelings, and to not have to be so self-aware of how we are showing that and how we are expressing that. And I think depending on, again, your context for how you grew up, maybe, maybe you had a really healthy relationship with your feelings. I obviously did not. So having feelings that were big and acknowledging those big feelings were, you know, was a really challenging thing for me as I got older. Meditation is really what unlocked, and this is something that's available for for everybody, is really what unlocked the awareness within me, wherein I was able to have a relationship with that energy that was witnessing. So I could witness myself even now, you know, you know, cause you're not your feelings as much as you are not your thoughts. You are not your feelings. You are the container that is housing this energy. When you have that awareness, all of a sudden the big wave that washes over you of sadness or joy or whatever it might be, isn't a defining factor in who you are. And I think when you can start to not take your feelings personally, you can be friends with all of them. And I try to remember that for myself. And I, I work with a lot of people around that because it's so easy to have a, to have a big thought, a big, ugly thought, a big, beautiful thought. It's so easy to have a big feeling and to think, oh, that's me. And that's my story. And that's who I am. That's who I'll be. That's what the next moment will look like and sound like and feel like. And that just isn't the case. I remember, you know, I grew up in North Jersey And so I spent a good amount of time at the Jersey shore, like any good Jersey girl does. And I loved being in the ocean and I have so many memories of being in the ocean and I would just go out for hours and like be in the swells of the wave. And every once in a while, the tides would change and the waves would start breaking earlier or later. And so you had to kind of constantly be in that dance of, oh, do I, do I swim under it or do I jump over it so that I don't get just demolished by this wave that crashes on you? And every once in a while, you kind of time it badly because you're nine years old and you get toppled and you're in that like swirl of the water and you think, is this how I die? Or maybe it's okay. And right. And so there's those like five seconds where you're just getting tousled and then you, you find your way back up to the surface and it's okay. And that's kind of how I think about emotions and physical symptoms. It's just a wave. And as long as you don't chase that wave back into the ocean and try to like carry it with you it doesn't last forever. It can be this ebb and flow that, that you experience and some waves are more enjoyable than others. Some are more peaceful than others. Some are more intense than others. And, you know, again, for me, meditation has been that key that has unlocked the ability to just be with all of it, even the ones I don't like. And when you can be with it and not take it personally, and have a relationship where you even can like ask it, like, what are you here to I was like talking to my feelings the other night. I was like in this meditation with myself and I I closed my eyes and I imagined myself sitting in a really peaceful setting. Choose one that is peaceful for you. And then I, I kind of like invited in this big feeling that I was having and I gave it a color and a shape and, and I just like visualized myself sitting across from it. And I was like, what are you, what's going on here? Like, what are you here to You've been showing up a lot. I don't really love your company. What are you here to 
clearly you're here to tell me something that I'm not getting. And that's why you keep coming back. Like, what are you here to tell me? What are you here to teach me? Or, and when you can have that relationship, then all of a sudden you don't have to be quote unquote fine all the time. It's okay to feel any of the things. One of the biggest shifts that I made courtesy of, you know, all of that, all the meditation work was even just the way I verbalize the way I express my feelings. So it's not, oh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm really stressed. I'm really overwhelmed. I'm really anxious right now. It's, I feel really anxious right now, or I feel overwhelmed because you are not your anxiety. You are not your overwhelmed. You are not your stress. You feel those things. I love that. And I love how you talked about how it's important to go inward first. I think so often we scan our external environment and do I feel safe to express my emotions in this environment? Who is around me? Do I feel embarrassed to express my emotions? Am I allowed to express my emotions? Am I in an environment where I don't feel safe? Whatever it is, we do the scanning and then We look around and then we come back in and then we suppress because we don't want to be in the feeling. And what I've had to learn is there are contexts of environments where we can't be in full expression, right, of how we're feeling, like at a dinner table. But I can get up and I can go to the bathroom and I can feel the feeling and I can breathe through it or I can go outside and get a deep breath of air so that emotion doesn't store in my body and yet I'm allowing it to be there and then I can come back to it later on. So of course, in certain contexts, you're not going to be able to begin to cry or have that that emotional experience, but you can separate yourself for a moment and allow yourself to be with it. Or you can, like I even keep a lot of music and meditations on my phone and I just allow myself wherever I am, whether I'm in the back of a car, on an airplane with my partner, like whatever context I'm in to say, I need this space for myself this moment so this doesn't get suppressed further. Yeah. And that's such a good point. I think really when we, when we emote or when we want to yell really loudly, right. When we have that big feeling or we want to cry or whatever it is, what we're really, and I just, I'm having this thought for the first time. So stay with me, but I think it makes sense. We're really asking whatever, whether it's the physical location that we're in or the people that we are with, we're asking external, whatever it is to hold space for that feeling. And I think what you're communicating so beautifully is that If that isn't an appropriate or safe space to say, not that you would say this, but I'm having a big feeling and I, can you hold space for this? It's really holding space for that within yourself. Absolutely. I loved how you described that. And that's something that you can always do. So it's always appropriate to hold space for your feeling. It's not, maybe not always safe or appropriate to ask what's around you to hold space for your feelings. And when you have something like, meditation practice in your life, you have this different relationship where you can step outside of it and be that container while also being in it like simultaneously, which is like a skill that I wish that I had when I was eight. And I wish that everybody had like in this moment, because it's, it isn't something that there's a lot of education around. I don't think. Absolutely. And I think so often we were talking about this before this recording that So often we have this deep desire for others to hold space for us, but they actually aren't equipped with the tools. And so even though they deep within their core, if they knew how badly you wanted them to hold space, 
at the core of who they are on a soul level, they would want to be able to do that. But they weren't raised in an environment or a space where they probably felt safe, so they don't know how to hold space for you. And so it's also letting go of that desire often. And like you said, coming back to our truth, which is I get to hold for myself and at times find people, mentors and coaches and therapists and going to specific workshops and meditation retreats where I feel safe to allow those emotions to come forward. I can't require that often of my partner or a friend or a parent who isn't equipped with the tools because they were never taught that as well. And so it's it's an unfair projection for us to expect that of them when they haven't learned how to do that. One of the things that I, I started doing with my mom actually years ago, years and years ago, she was very much the kind of person that would go into just fix it mode. So if I had a big feeling showing, like as an adult, she'd be like, okay, well, let's talk about how we can like work through that. And I'm like, I don't want to work through it. I just want to, I just want you to hold space for my feeling is really what I wanted. And I didn't have that language maybe at the time, but what we started doing was either one of us would call each other and say, I really feel like I need to vent about something. Do you have like three minutes where I can just vent? And then we both know this isn't like an advice call. This isn't a problem solving call. We're not brainstorming anything. I just need you to hold space for this feeling and you feel like a safe space that I can do that. And do I have your consent to vent? Can you do that right now? And sometimes the answer is, you know what? I can't do that right now, whether it's because I don't have time to do that or I don't have the emotional space to hold for you right now. And that's okay. And I think it's it can be really hard to not take it personal when the people in your life that you love and that love you when they can't do that. And also, as you said, it's not an indication that that they don't love you. It might be an indication that they don't have the tools or that they don't just don't have the bandwidth energetically or physically. You know, it's just so easy to take that personally and it's important not to. Absolutely. My husband and I, we've been doing that same thing that your mom and you have been doing. So that's so beautiful. Because he's his wound is I want to be the hero. And so he wants to be the hero in every circumstance where I am in pain. And a lot of things you can't use money or even time or energy to fix. It's just is what it is and there's an acceptance of it. And it's about moving through a process of healing. And so for him, his challenge was being a witness to my pain without needing to to call someone, text someone, you know, hire someone, fix something, and, and just being there and holding space. And it's a beautiful request that we can make of our partners and not everyone will be there yet, but it took him several years to get to a place where he can just be in my witness. He can just listen to me vent. He can ask if there's anything he can do. But when I say there's nothing really that we can do to fix this, I just want you to understand where I am emotionally in this moment. It's been empowering because it now, instead of him wanting to be the hero, it lets him off the hook of him believing he's responsible for my emotions. And so that's what shifted for him is this ability to to witness and say, it's not my fault. My wife is in this emotional state, but I'm going to be a support and hold space in this moment and, and know that I don't have to fix anything. 
And especially if you have any, you know, I've worked through a lot of, a lot, and I still work through them, it turns out. I had a, I had a big, a big reveal, a big fun plot twist reveal where I was like, wow, I'm feeling really codependent right now. And I'm feeling, I was having it with my partner. Like out of nowhere, I found myself subtly just getting pulled back into that old programming that I had growing up with an alcoholic parent, which was... I'm going to manage the situation. I'm going to try to manage your feelings. I'm going to manage myself so that the energy in the room is what feels good, you know, and we are not responsible for other people's feelings and other people's pain. And when we can do our best to show up with loving compassion in our relationships and, and, you know, in life, and also we can't control how other people are responding to things. And I think when you give someone permission, like you were explaining, to just be with you in your feelings and witness them, then you also remind them that they don't have to control them, that they don't have to do anything about it, which is such a, I think, freeing and li- like just liberating reminder if you are someone that has ever dabbled in the land of codependency. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I've dabbled in it. <laughs> Do you have a house there too? I have a gross beautiful. I have like a mansion yeah. there. <laughs> I have definitely dabbled in it and I've done a lot of therapy and a lot of um, coaching on it. And it's, it really always comes back to us, right? The personal responsibility coming back to our truth and being able to voice with love and compassion and understanding where we sit in it. And you talk a little bit about this also in your book about how it's impossible not to love, accept, and have compassion for the parts of ourselves that feel really broken when we're in a practice of meditation. And so I'm curious for the listeners who maybe have started meditation and then they notice, right, and they're becoming aware of these patterns. They're noticing maybe that anxiousness that lives with inside of them. They're noticing maybe some of these shame stories. They're noticing potentially some old wounds that are coming forward. How do you support people and guide them? Because I'm in the belief as you that meditation is non-negotiable. It's the first thing I recommend to every single client before we even dive into food or movement. It's like we have to heal the parts of yourself that is not choosing to be well. And it's about the behavior first. Yeah. The parts of yourself that are being served by you not being well. But then that can also bring up a lot in the beginning. And so I'm curious how you support people in moving through that initial phase of, oh, wow, I have all these thoughts. These thoughts are moving through my mind. These emotions are available to me now that that I've never noticed. I'm, I'm noticing that this is bringing up some uncertainty in me. What is something that supports people through this kind of initial transition into meditation? Because that happened with me as well. In the beginning, yeah. It can be, I was having this conversation with a client yesterday and I was reminded of that, of that like really just like tough love quote, which is if you can't sit with yourself for 20 minutes, what makes you think anyone else can? Like just that thought of like, wow, what does it really feel like to be in the presence of myself? And to just be with my thoughts and be with what is inside of me. And I remember how overwhelming that was for me as well in the beginning. And especially when you just, when you first start that practice and you just are in the the state of observing and witnessing the fluctuations of your mind. I really try to, I always coach everyone with, with the idea that 
You don't have to take your thoughts personally. Again, you are not your thoughts. You do not have to believe every thought you have and your thoughts do not automatically define or represent who you are. Your thoughts are wildly conditioned. So also know that there's so much compassion you can bring in because the thoughts that you're having right now, you know, I'm in my, I guess I'm almost in my late thirties. I think July, I cross over into the threshold of being in my late thirties and I will still witness thoughts and just think, wow, that one is for sure from like a really just like bummed out four-year-old. And isn't it just so worthy of compassion, this thought that I'm having. When there is a separation, there is an automatic ability to not take it personally because you know that that's not you. So it's almost, and this will start to happen naturally because of how your brain starts to shift as well through meditation. So I always tell people, even if you don't feel like it's quote unquote working, even if you don't really think you know what you're doing in your meditation, the more that you do it, the more your body and your brain are going to start to shift into higher states of consciousness. And that is going to show up in things like less activity in your default mode network, which is the set of neurons in your brain that are all about you, like me and mine, and what happened to me and what might happen to me. There's less activity there. So there's less of that like self-rumination. One of the biggest parts of your brain that activates that fight flight response, your amygdala, there's less brain cell volume there. So there's more of a sense of safety and a bigger comfort zone. So even if it doesn't feel like it, and even if you don't quite know how you're getting there, your body will start to restructure itself to support you feeling more present, less anxious, more naturally compassionate and connected to yourself and connected to those around you. So I would say in a tangible way, if you find yourself feeling really overwhelmed in your meditations, create some practice to just piggyback onto your meditation. That might be setting a timer for five minutes and just do free write journaling where you don't take your pen off the paper and you let out whatever might be coming up for you as an emotion or as, as a thought that might be piggybacking your meditation practice with like five minutes of movement, five, you know, put on a three and a half minute song and just shake for three and a half minutes straight. So much of what comes up is the identification part of any kind of like cleansing. I've done Panchakarma, which is an Ayurvedic Indian cleanse, and there's five layers of it. But one of the biggest parts of it is mobilizing identifying emotional toxicity, mobilizing it, and then releasing it. So what shows up a lot in meditation is identifying, is noticing, maybe for the first time, wow, I have a lot of my thoughts that are around shame, or a lot of my story is about this thing that doesn't feel very good. And know that that part of your journey, that identification of, wow, these are the parts of me that don't feel great, or that don't really represent who I really am and definitely aren't serving me, know that that's okay. And know that it might be a little bit overwhelming and a little uncomfortable. It gets easier as you keep doing it to be with that. And also in my experience, the severity of it lessens. So it doesn't always feel that intense and you can really support that process within yourself by creating a little bit of mobilization, journaling, shaking, or even just like press. I'm, I'm a very vocal person. So sometimes I'll even just record voice notes 
that are just nonsensical or that I'm not concerned about how it sounds or it's not going to go anywhere. It's just me mobilizing some of that energy or some of the stuff that's showing up, but know that it doesn't always scale that way. I love that. I love all of those examples. I've done all of those. And I think it's important to recognize as you practice meditation more and more, you're going to create more space between your thoughts. So you can actually reflect and say, okay, this thought is is interesting. I'm going to get curious about it. I'm inquiring about it, but it, it's no longer part of who I am. And so I'm going to let it go. And with that space, you can also recognize that your intuition is in between <laughs> the thoughts. And so the thoughts are really the cultural conditioning, the media conditioning, the societal conditioning. And you probably haven't had access yet to the space between the thoughts, which my teacher, Shandresh, always says, the mind is different than the heart. And when you create that space, you can then access your heart and your intuition. But without creating the space, your automatic thoughts are on loop. And then you're literally living from an automatic place of thoughts become behaviors, which become habits. And there's no awareness around what it is that you even desire to change. I think it's so true that we have to sometimes step a little bit into the discomfort and have that courage to be in witness before we can allow ourselves, right, to access that part of ourselves that knows better. And deep within us, we know that these thoughts are not serving us. And yet it is in that discomfort that we can truly say, okay, I want to create distance. Something else that's been really powerful for me is a Buddhist practice of just saying cancel, cancel. So if I notice a thought throughout the day that isn't loving, isn't kind, isn't com compassionate, I'll just say cancel, cancel. And I'll just noted in my mind is like, that is not part of my current awareness anymore and send it off. <laughs> and that's been really beautiful. Just And for a while I was canceling all day. Beginning of the pandemic where there was just so much fear. Was like, <laughs> absolutely not pushing that aside, pushing that out. <laughs> Yeah, it's the, you know, it's like the unsubscribe, you know, sometimes I'll get like emails and it, at the top, it'll be like, you haven't opened an email from like this random thing that you mistakenly like subscribe to or right, or you wanted like 20%. So you said, sure, send me emails. And then you never looked at it ever again. And it'll say, you haven't opened an email from that in a while. Do you want to unsubscribe? That's what you can do with thoughts. You know, it's also meditation. I just had this like image in my mind that meditation is kind of like the, the two factor authentication is that what it's called when you go to like log in from a new device or something right and you log in and it'll let you through the first time and then it'll say we're going to send you a code just to make sure that this is you meditation is kind of like that two-factor authentication where like the thought gets through like the insane thought the hurtful thought the whatever it is the, the ugly thought that you know isn't really you and that you definitely don't want to empower to become the next word you speak or the next action you take meditation is in, as you said, that space between where it says like, are you sure? Is this you? Should we trust this browser? That's what meditation is. And it's in that moment that you have the choice. The space between is just a space of, of infinite choice where you can say, absolutely, I want to opt in. I want to subscribe. I want to give this thing my credit card. I want to give it access to me. You know, the thoughts aren't the problem. It's not, as you said, you can cancel the thought. You can the thought isn't the problem. It's when we are unable to have the space between to consciously choose which thoughts we want to invest in. Absolutely. And then when we choose to live from that place based on a wound or 
story that isn't ours. It's so interesting. And that's where I get so curious because if I have a thought that I, I connect to energetically and I think, okay, well, this thought isn't loving. It's really not serving me. So why is it here? I ask myself the deeper question of like, how is it actually serving me? Because it's keeping me in some discomfort, right? It's keeping me in a story that's not allowing me to move to an- another level of awareness. And then I get even more curious and, I, and I'm like, okay, well, where did this story originate from? And then when I notice where it originated from, I notice that that story is from someone else's wound that they haven't healed, that they were projecting. And I took it on as my truth, which is so interesting because I'm like, well, in a perfect environment, if I was conscious back then when I was my five-year-old self, I would have never taken this story on. But because I was unconscious to what love looked like or to what partnership looked like or to what parenting looked like, I took it on. And now I'm aware enough to recognize that it isn't serving me anymore. And it's okay if in that process of realizing that it's not serving you, it's okay if it still has a charge. The charge is there to reveal that that you're still giving life to it, that it still has a place in your words or in your actions in some way, shape or form. That's just the access point to healing. Just because it feels, I've had, I keep telling myself this like over the last few months, just because it feels uncomfortable doesn't mean it's bad. Just because there's discomfort around it doesn't mean we have to run or freeze or like does that that's not always the marker of danger. Sometimes it's just like the access point to healing and healing is rarely fun. I can't tell you any day that I've had that was like the best day ever that really like leveled me up, right? We don't often heal from the moments of peace. That's not usually in my experience where the wounds are like revealed in the beginning. No, absolutely. And what's so powerful is when we allow ourselves to go there in the discomfort, there is an up-leveling of joy and that sort of ecstasy, freedom, the energetics of that, right? On the other side of it, that often we can't access until we do the healing. And so often we go straight to the positive thinking, which I lived most of my life in this illusion. If I just thought positive, then I never had to go back and deal with my past. And so in that, it's, there's a danger to that because there's only, a, there's only a limited capacity of what I could feel from a joyous, happy, elated state until I did the deeper work. And so we have to do both. We have to think positive and be in the vibration of, okay, I want to manifest this beautiful life and stay in that vibration. But I think where we go wrong sometimes, especially right now in, in the world of positivity and, and all of the talk around it is that to get to those next layers of vibration in order to attract parts of our life that we deeply desire, we have to dig up what's uncomfortable. Yeah. You have to create, you have to look at the foundation. I mean, you know this, you know this, right? You have to look at like the foundation and you can't build the most beautiful dream home on like cracked foundation. It's not going to go well. And then at some point there's going to be an even bigger something that's going to cause you to do the work. So you might as well, the moment that you hear like the whisper of the work, the sooner that you dive into it, the less you're going to suffer because you're acknowledging it and you're, you're tending to that wound. So you don't have to wait until it gets infected or you don't have to wait until it has to become a surgery and you don't have to, you know, metaphorically or maybe unfortunately physically, you can see it earlier. I also think that we, I just had this thought too. I think we, we also, and you touched on this, 
kind of spiritually bypass our joy. I was thinking about this a while ago, how there's alcohol that shows up when we're feeling miserable, when we've had the worst day, and there's alcohol that shows up when we're having the best day. And I think on either end of that, if you are like numbing or making yourself less conscious to the depth of what you're experiencing, you're missing out. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have a margarita or you shouldn't have a glass of wine on either end of those spectrums. But I think being able to hold space for our feelings, the good ones and the bad ones, and to not just bypass over them is one of the greatest gifts that we can give our, our soul, our life experience. I think it happens infrequently on both sides of that. Absolutely. I wanted to quickly dive into your book, Don't Hate Meditate, and you just share with the listeners why you wrote this book. I love it. I have like 40 sticky notes in it <laughs> of all the pages I, like, I re-reference and I come back to. And um, I love it. It's one of my like principal books that I give to my clients as well when they're starting to meditate because you know, when I begin working with them, it's really like we start with meditation, hit the ground running, but there's a lot of the practicality and sort of the, the reasons for meditation and just the, the simple practices that make such profound differences that are often overlooked. So love for you to just share and let people know where they can get it and then how they can reach out and connect with you for your schedule, which <laughs> you'll hopefully be back in person soon and anything else you're up to. So... I really wanted a book that kind of bridged the really esoteric, timeless teachings that have changed my life. And also the ways in which those teachings in a very like accessible, relatable way show up in the day to day. And I think I, I, I saw at the time a lot of books that were in either camp. It was a lot, a lot of like, this is the moment and here's how you manage your life right now. Or this is like the most ancient profound wisdom. And I really wanted there to be a bridge between that. And so, so that's what the book is. The book is really, of course, there's a, a whole section on like, how do you meditate and like some really good, like foundation fundamentals and a practice that I, that I teach you. But then also how do you look at your life through the five kind of mindsets that I identified that were really key for me and in, in, in the work that I do with people, which are presence, acceptance, intention, non-judgment, and trust. So what are your relationships with those five qualities? Are you like embodied in those areas? Are they like a huge struggle for you? I put a quiz in there, which fulfilled all of my like 15-year-old Cosmo girl dreams. And you can take a quiz and kind of get an objective, you know, numbered score for how how in relationship you are with those qualities and then each section of the book talks about each one and gives you really again relatable everyday examples of how to be in a state of trust how to be in a state of intention and conscious choice making how to be present and what that looks like and then there's meditations and exercises and it's also I really wanted it to feel like a friend. So my teaching, as I said, I did not grow up with any of this. I used to work in the entertainment industry. Like none of my life was aligned in this conversation until I started meditating. So I wanted it to feel like the friend that you can pick up. That's like, here's the thing, maybe let's try this. And this is going to feel better rather than 
feeling like you're picking up something that's in a totally different language that maybe doesn't resonate. So it's light and it's funny and profound and right. It's kind of all of the things. And that was really important to me. So that's available. I also did the recording. So if he's been enjoying the tone of my voice and you would love to hear 200 pages of it, you can get the the audible version as well. That was really the intention of the book. And then the other big thing that I did recently, just because I felt a deep urge to like be of service is to create, and I was talking to you about this when I first did it, this 21 day meditation series where you get an email for 21 days with a different meditation, all centered around moving from an embodied state of surviving to one of thriving, which is really what I was craving for myself in January. And what a lot of people have been working with me on is like, how do we transition with consciousness out of this last year that we've had? And again, kind of up-level ourselves into what we're kind of co-creating moving forward. So that's available at Meditate with Megan, M-E-G-A-N. And there's a promo code that you guys can put up. I think it's Thrive and you can get $10 off, but I priced it. It's like 20 bucks. I priced it so inclusively because I just want everybody to meditate. And if getting an email with in meditation for 21 days is going to help you start that habit, I'm here for that and here for you to support that. And in general, anyone is welcome to spiritually slide into my DMs on Instagram. If you have questions, like if you have questions, if you're like, is this normal that I felt like I turned into a butterfly when I was meditating? You know, please like don't hesitate to reach out because I really feel aligned with a sense of purpose, which is to help you remember who you are. And however I can do that, whether it's with a book or with meditations or with a DM, I am here to be that reflection. Thank you so much. And I highly recommend your program. I think it's so important, especially when you begin meditating. There's an accountability energy that is so important to the practice. And I think when you have someone who can witness, you know, all of these emotions that are coming up, like we talked about before, and be with you through that, even if it's just energetically through a program, it's such a benefit because it is so easy. And I did this for the first probably couple months when I was starting my meditation practice, I was at a place where I, I was so broken and so lost, but it was like I dappled in it and then would start the meditation and then fall off. I would dapple in it. I would fall off. And I remember my teacher, Shandresh, was like, you have to be willing to hear the truth and you have to be willing to show up and do the work. I'm willing to coach you and be there for you, but there is still a level of accountability and responsibility that is required to get to the next level of healing. And so it took having someone in my life to really, really dive deep into confronting the parts of myself that I was unwilling to alone. And that's why I think programs are so beneficial because they do sort of keep you in that loop of remembrance. Like, okay, I'm getting the email. I'm getting the ping yeah. that today's the day. Here she is again. <laughs> Here she is again. Yeah. Looking on my tour, yeah. reminding me. To, How know. do you unsubscribe from this again? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Reminding myself. Yeah. And even, even if you go through seven days and you fall off for two, three, at least you ha- kind of have that ability to come back and start over and, and refresh and hit the pop-up again button. You know, it, it's important. It's also so easy, and I see this with so many people, and I experienced this too in, in the beginning when I when I first started meditating. It's so easy once that initial pain point 
is pacified enough where it's not the first thing that you're thinking about, whether it's a physical imbalance or a mental or emotional imbalance. Once that initial like, oh, this feels better is gone. It's so easy to be like, I don't need this anymore. I mean, you see it all the time, you know, we eat clean and we start moving our bodies and it's like, oh, I feel great. I have energy. And then all of a sudden we're just focused on like living in our best body and in our best energetic self. And we stop doing all of the things that propelled us into that state that we're now enjoying so much. We pay attention to pain. I don't wake up every day thinking naturally, thinking like, oh, wow, I'm so grateful. My stomach feels good today and I can breathe clearly through my sinuses and I have energy and we wake up and we look at what is wrong. We look at what feels imbalanced. We look at where there's pain and that's what we give our attention to. So with meditation, especially, it's so important that you continue to redefine why you're showing up each day. Because in the beginning for me, it was physical and there were all these, I was showing up for my hives to help pacify that and to balance that. But then the hives went away and then I had to redefine why am I showing up now? Oh, I want to feel less anxious about money and I'm going to show up and meditate for that. And then after that, it was like, oh, I'm feeling really abundant. What am I showing up for now? And now I'm showing up because I'm having some autoimmune things. And you have to keep redefining why you're doing the work because otherwise, once that pain point is balanced, it's going to be easy for your ego to just chime in and say, you don't need to do this. You're fantastic. You're good. And the other thing that is really interesting that Dina Kaplan taught me was so often we come to our practice for these egoic manifestations, right? Like make more money, have a better career, get in the relationship we want. We're not coming necessarily to be like, oh, I want to heal that horrific relationship with my parents from years ago. (laughs) You know, we're coming for those more egoic reasons, which is completely fine. Because I asked her, I was like, is it okay to come to practice for those reasons for the manifestation? And what she shared was indirectly, we're healing the past by going forward towards our dreams. And I think that that's a very important piece to bring into this conversation. Because so often we might think, oh, well, meditation is just the spiritual practice. And I don't really need it, right? And or the reason I'm coming is is because I have desires for things in my life and all those desires are valid and worthy. And so I just want to make that point that those are all things that are okay to want to manifest because as you manifest those you experience more joy and I think that that's the main purpose to be alive. So And I think too like whatever you quote unquote want, let's keep it material. Let's say you want something material. As you said, in the process of, you know, quote unquote, meditating on that and manifesting that in order to manifest that you have to heal what has been blocking that. So if you really want the relationship that your heart is longing for, you know, I love talking about manifestation because really it's not the relationship that you want. It's the feeling. And what's that feeling? Is it I want to feel acceptance. I want to feel desire. I want to feel love. Like what's the feeling in the process of if you're doing like manifestation through something like meditation, you will have to embody those things within yourself in order to attract it. So I don't care if you want to reverse engineer it. And if that's what gets you to show up every day, because you're going to manifest financial freedom or a million dollars, great. Because really what you're manifesting is an embodiment of abundance consciousness, right? They're all intertwined. Absolutely. And in the manifestation of the abundance, we also often come to the conclusion of, 
oh, now that I have this, this isn't the thing that actually is making me happy. And so there's that element that in order to recognize that it's not going to make us happy and that we have to do the deeper work, often we have to manifest the physical thing first in order to get to the deeper core wounds. It's like we don't know until we have it what we didn't know to begin with. And so it's really an empowered way to just think about, okay, what is the desire now? And then learning the lessons through that desire that brings us home to ourselves ultimately. And as you practice, if this becomes an embodied like part of your life, and, and I hope that it does, you will, it won't always take so long. So you won't always have to go through the like, okay, I'm going to do this. And that's where the lesson is. And there's layers to it. And, you know, we're talking before we, before we started jumping into this conversation, which I've loved about, oh yeah, like I'm, my work is really around this now. And it's this like very deep thing. So as your awareness begins to expand, you will be able to really comfortably say, you know, my work right now is really in like, tending to four-year-old Megan and she's feeling really like she's feeling such a lack of self-worth and she's feeling unloved. And I'm really like working on that and loving on that in my practice now. And it becomes really effortless as you start to do this work for it to show up however it needs to. And that's something that I think is important to remember. It's, it doesn't always feel so effortful to have your practice like work for you. I think of meditation most as like the ultimate adaptogen it really, like, regardless of what you're quote unquote thinking, it really just shows up wherever it needs to show up. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. What a beautiful conversation. I'm like, this is such a beautiful way to start the week. I mean, it's I Tuesday, this. but it still feels like the beginning of the week to me. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Where can people find more about you and website, Instagram? All just want to make sure. Yeah. Again. yeah. So Instagram is at. Meg Monahan, M-E-G-M-O-N-A-H-A-N. You can go to Megan Monahan, which is M-E-G-A-N-M-O-N-A-H-A-N.com. And anything is there. Connecting with me, working with me, the 21 day series, you can get access to that there. Otherwise you can go to meditate with Megan as well and, and sign up for that series or get the free meditation that's there. So I'm very easy to find. Don't be shy. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much again for being here. I'm I'm so grateful and just appreciate you endlessly. Thanks for having me. This was amazing. Thanks so much, love. All right. Thanks for sticking around for some final thoughts on our conversation and some actionable steps to integrate the wisdom that you learned into this week. So often the beauty and the irony of self-love practices such as meditation is that you don't often see your progress until you're in that moment of trigger, or maybe you're in a situation where you're actually called to show up from a deep place of self-love. And so over the years, I've discovered that meditation impacts us in really powerful ways. And with my clients specifically, I have found that over time, after meditating for several months, there's some different things that shift within them, such as they're no longer driven by the need to be perfect. They lean heavily on their own hearts versus the stories of their mind. They're connected to their inner self-worth, not external factors. Their definition of beauty has shifted to really be inclusive. For example, they love their wrinkles, their gray hairs, their cellulite, and all their physical aspects that make them unique. They begin to allow their inner beauty to shine. 
They begin to invest in their growth in other areas of their lives beyond just the physical body. And so I encourage you to also take a moment to imagine what life would feel like and be like on the other side of going inward and allowing yourself to feel your feelings. As Megan shared, take some time to dive into free flow journaling, asking yourself the questions that I previously shared and getting really honest about what you desire and how you'll move towards these goals through meditation practice. Further this week, I invite you to join the awesome Inside Out Facebook group. It's a private, safe space filled with beautiful hearts coming together to encourage and uplift one another. And for everyone who is already part of that group, Thank you so much for helping us build such a beautiful community together. If you enjoyed today's conversation, I also recommend listening to my recent episode with Beat Simkin on the power of meditation and how you can step in to a healthier, happier you. Also drop me a message on Instagram if you've been listening to these podcasts for a while. Let me know what's been resonating, what you want to hear more about, and how I can support you in becoming happier and healthier. You can find me on the gram at Sarah Ann Stewart. And until next time, I'm sending you so much love and I trust that you will have an incredible, beautiful week ahead. All right, that concludes this podcast. It is my honor to always share with you. But hang tight because I have one last thought. You are here right now because you are ready. Because while many of us share the feeling of wanting more, not everyone is willing to do what it takes to get it. But you are here, you are ready. So this is your opportunity now to take what you just learned and implement it. Make a pact with yourself to put just one thing into action. Just one. Write it down, do it, and share it with me. And if you benefit from it, it would mean the world to me if you could please spread this movement and share it with one person who you know would also benefit. We are all in this together, so thank you for being here and part of this movement.